Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, October 7, 2021. Producing from his home studio in Connecticut is Taylor Schwink. I'm Buster only working from my home in New York. Uh, today will be better than yesterday, and it has to be because yesterday really stunk. There's a lot of baseball to get to today, but I just want to say I'm going to miss working with Matt Biscursion, who told the New York Post yesterday that he's stepping away from his duties as a play-by-play man of Sunday Night Baseball. I got to work with Matt, with Alex, Jessica Mendoza over the last four years. Matt is a great teammate. He is a friend. Uh, he's someone who I respect and I trust. And this news just stinks. Change stinks. I feel the same way uh, about Matt leaving as I did when Dan Schulman stepped away from Sunday Night Baseball just hurts. I am thrilled for Matt that he went out with a record rating in that Tuesday night wildcard game between the Yankees and the Red Sox. You saw that number, right, Taylor? Oh my gosh, Buster. What, what a number indeed. We, we speculated off the pod about what it may be. And I I think, I mean, you were, you were right in the, in the ballpark, no pun intended. It was the most watched major league baseball game on ESPN platforms since 1998. You think that's a long time? That's been, that's a long time. The broadcast averaged 7.7 million viewers across ESPN and ESPN two peaking with 8.4 ESPN, uh, one, one television across the evening that that was the highest rated program for the night and ESPN's most streamed major league baseball event ever with 73.6 million minutes consumed digitally and total viewership up 67% from the last time ESPN and ESPN2 televised a wild card game in 2019. You think that's a big number buster? That is bonanza. So great great uh you know going out party for Matty V. Yep. And he works his rear end off. And so I'm real mm-hmm. real uh, real happy for Matt that uh, he went out with a bang on that. All right, let's get to the good stuff. In Los Angeles last night, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, Max Scherzer versus Adam Wainwright. Tommy Edmond gave the Cardinals the lead in the top of the first. Right-hander kicks, fires. And that one in the dirt, kicks away from Smith. Here comes Edmond, throw to the plate, too late. And on the wild pitch, the Cardinals have taken the lead. That was Boog Shambi on ESPN Radio with that call. The Dodgers threat in the bottom of the third. Swing and a broken bat roller up the middle. Edmond picks it up, steps on second for one. On to first, two. It's a double play, and Adam Wainwright gets out of it. Wow. And there's that Cardinal defense doing the job. Yeah, Trey Turner running down the line. The Cardinals turn a double play. It felt like momentum was on the Cardinals' side. Big fist pump for Adam Wainwright as he left the mound. But the Dodgers would tie the game the bottom of the fourth. Turner back in, awaiting a 2-2. Here it is. Swing and a high fly ball left field. And you can forget it. There's some slug into the bullpen, and we're starting over. He pulled one deep into the left field corner and gone. Justin Turner, a solo homer, it's 1-1. Max Scherzer would come out of the game with runners on base in the top of the fifth inning. Joe Kelly was on the mound against Dylan Carlson with two outs. Kelly is ready. Payoff pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Joe Kelly comes in, puts out the fire, and this one stays tied 1-1 midway here in the fifth. And the zeros kept rolling up through the sixth inning, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, in the top of the ninth. Kenley Jansen on the mound, Tyler O'Neill at the plate. 
The pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Kenley Jansen pitches out of it. And the Dodger fans loving it. Dodger Stadium explodes as Jansen strikes out O'Neill, and we're headed to the bottom of the ninth. Chris Taylor was an all-star this year, but he was not in the starting lineup. Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, double-switched him into the game. In the midst of this, he came to the plate with a runner on bottom of the ninth. Reyes fires. Swing and a drive. Left field. On its way. Gone! Chris Taylor walks it off. He sprints around the bases. And the Dodgers are heading to the division series. Chris Taylor wins it in the bottom of the ninth. The legend, Boog Shabby, with that great call. The Dodgers survive. The 106 wins in the regular season for the Dodgers, and they get through the Cardinals, the wild card game, and they will now face the San Francisco Giants in a best-of-five series that will make fans lose their mind. That's going to be a great series to come. We're going to be talking about that with Sarah Langs coming up. Dave Roberts had thoughts on Chris Taylor after the game. I think just to put it simply is the game honors you. He wanted to be in there tonight, but he was ready when called upon. And um, he prepares like no other. And so uh, to come in and make a really nice play defensively, that doesn't really show up in the box score. And um, to pop out his first at bat, but to kind of be present in the moment, execute a plan and and put a good swing. um, That's why he's our Campanella recipient this year. That's why he's one of the leaders on this club. Here's Adam Wainwright after the game, one of the Cardinals leaders. I felt like I felt like we had a team that was going to win a World Series. Honestly, and we played a we played a good game tonight. We we played against a very good team. They were like they are. I mean, they were you know they were relentless and they're just you know they're a great competitor. They're a great compo- uh, opponent. They beat us. You know, we, we we had our chances. We talked about it. We had our chances to win that game, and and their pitching did a great job. Their defense did a great job, and they got the big hit at the end. Chris Taylor joined Scott Van Pelt after the game, and we'll hear that entire interview. Later in the podcast and other places, the Chicago White Sox are hopeful that the reigning AL MVP Jose Abreu will be available to them game one of their division series against the Astros on Thursday. Abreu has been ill since the weekend and didn't travel the team to Houston on Tuesday. He'll be a game day decision. He tested negative for COVID. Lance Lynn, who will start for the White Sox today against Houston, talked about Abreu. You definitely don't want you know, him to be feeling bad, but to know that he's on his way is, uh, you know, it's a huge boost for us. He's, he's kind of the heart and soul of the team, you know, he plays through anything. Um, you know, he's always there day in and day out and gives you everything he's got. So uh, we're looking forward to first seeing him for sure. Here's Tim Anderson, White Sox shortstop talking about Abreu. He definitely means a lot uh, to this ball club. I think he's the biggest key that we need healthy, but I'm sure, you know, uh, we all know how stubborn he is and, you know, he's not going he's not going to want to sit out. He's not going to be happy about that. So uh, that's a positive. But overall, um, you know, I just can't wait for him to, you know, get here and, uh, you know, be able to compete with us. Here's Tony LaRusso, the White Sox manager back in the playoffs. I've been nervous my whole career. One of the reasons uh, first game of spring training, first game opening day, like right now I'm nervous because I care. We care. And you translate that nervousness into paying attention to getting ready to do your job. Sound like Bill Belichick, just do your job. I'm going to try to do my job. Here's Houston manager Dusty Baker. I don't go to anxious too much. I got the same level of emotion and everything like I do and all the rest of them. You keep knocking on the door, man. If, if you don't knock on the door, you don't have a chance. 
And the way I look at it, Thomas Edison, I mean, he tried a thousand times before he discovered the light bulb and electricity. So see, look at Bobby Cox. You know, how many division titles did he have? Like 15 or 16? I ain't even close to that. The way I look at it, it's going to happen. The Lord wants me to happen. And if it doesn't, it's still been right. It's still been good. But that don't mean that, um, you know, I really feel inside. I need it and I got to have it. I love Dusty Baker invoking Thomas Edison and Bobby Cox in the same sentence in describing how he's feeling. He's the best. Carlos Correa talked about how he's changed with experience. Obviously, you know, with the experience you acquire, you get more vocal and uh, you try to help your teammates out a little more, not only in the regular season, but also in the playoffs. You know, that experience, some of the young guys are going to go through right now. They know they can always come to me and, and we can talk about it. You know, the little butterflies you feel in your first playoff games and, and how to handle the pressure and, and, and the loud noises from, from the fans um, so you can go out there and still perform. The Red Sox and the Rays start their series today, and the Red Sox have always gotten uh, some notice because when they go to Tampa Bay, they measure bases and things like that on the field. Alex Cora was asked about that. I was inside dealing with COVID. I heard about it because somebody tweeted and, and showed a picture. I think the players were doing that, but... Honestly, I found out after the fact. So I think MLB is going to measure it, you know, like they always do. They'll measure the bases like they always do before each game, and everything will be legal. The Rays' Shane McClanahan starts today, and he was asked about how he feels about that. I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty cool, to be honest with you. I mean, considering I didn't break with the team out of camp. So I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a testament to the hard work and the effort, you know, I've put in, in this entire team's put in this year. Kevin Cash, the Rays manager, spoke about McClanahan. The best that we can go back on are a couple of his high-intensity starts this year. We threw him into the fire last year in the postseason when he had never pitched a regular season game. At the time, it didn't feel that great, but maybe that's helping him now. And then Sunday night baseball here against the Red Sox, he performed very, very well. And then watching him navigate through uh, his outings, certainly specific ones where there was some adversity, seeing him get, get through the inning and bounce back and kind of hit the reset button and find ways to, to get deep in ball game. As expected, the San Diego Padres fired manager Jace Tingler. And Major League Baseball is finalizing a policy that will mandate COVID-19 vaccines for minor league players for the 2022 season. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, both ALDS games are airing on ESPN Radio, as are all the Major League Baseball playoff games. But for today, White Sox at Astros. You can tune in at 3.30 Eastern for full coverage, and that will be followed by Red Sox at Rays. Tune in at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for full coverage of that game. And then tomorrow morning, when you wake up your little sleepy eyes and you want a little more baseball content, the podcast hasn't quite come out yet. Listen to KJZ, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern, followed by hashtag Greeny at 10 a.m. Eastern. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. 
The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. And Sarah, of course, after the result of last night's Dodger-Cardinals game, I was thinking about your mom and wondering, is she going to be able to handle a Giants-Dodgers five-game series? She is absolutely not going to be able to. She will. She will handle it. She will handle it like a champ, but... uh, Oh my gosh. I mean, as we all know at this point, these teams have never met in the postseason and regular season series between these teams are already such high energy and high stress for fans involved. I can't even imagine what an October series is going to be like. So tell me your conversations with her about the series. Will you try to like try to calm her or is that just forget it? You, you know, it's a lost cause. You're not even going to talk to her about the series. I'm guessing you're probably picking the Dodgers, which she's not going to want to hear, right? Yeah, I picked the Dodgers on uh, MLB.com on a story that went up uh, on Tuesday morning, and I haven't heard anything about that yet, and I'm sure she saw it. So uh, I think she knows. She's been sending me a lot of texts lately about how everybody's picking the Dodgers. Everyone will be so happy when the Giants lose, that kind of stuff. She is an amazing fan, as everyone got to hear um, here about a month ago when they clinched uh, the postseason spot, thanks to you. But I will try to calm her down. I always do. I remind her it's just baseball and that the team was so good. I mean, both of these teams are really good, but they should be really evenly matched and it should be a really fun series. I, I, Sarah, I love that. Just as a parent, when you're telling your mom, oh, it's just, it's okay. It's just baseball. That's what I, as a parent say to my kids, right? It's okay. You know, it's just a college application. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll get in someplace and you're just telling your myself, it's okay. You'll be okay, mom. (laughs) I think I learned it from her because, you know, young, young Sarah was a very passionate fan and we know the team I rooted for. We know there was not necessarily uh, a lot of great moments during, during my childhood as I was really a rabid fan. So I think I learned everything she said. And then we got to this point where right around when the giants were in the world series in 2010, 2012, 2014, I sort of took on the role of, okay, now I'm going to tell you it's going to be okay and in her case it actually was those three times and they won the world series so we'll see what happens this time what do you got on chris taylor the hero of the wild card game for the dodgers oh my goodness i mean this is so dodgers right he comes up and since august 27th he was eight for 72 that's a 111 batting average a 195 obp a 208 slugging percentage 
He had 30 strikeouts and eight hits in that span. He comes up and he hits the fifth walk-off home run in a winner-take-all game in postseason history. Of course, Edwin Encarnacion in 2016 in the AL wildcard game. We had Aaron Boone, of course, in ALCS Game 7 in 2003. Chris Chambliss in 1976 in the ALCS and Bill Mazeroski in 1960. But I just think it's so emblematic of who the Dodgers have been, especially during this extended run, all the all the division titles, and then this year as well. I know they didn't win the division. Guys like Chris Taylor have been such a big part of what they've done. You know, everyone sort of expected, and Justin Turner said this after the game too, that it was going to be Albert Pools. It was going to be this storybook ending. But it's so much more Dodgers for it to be Chris Taylor. Yeah, a hundred percent. And just to dig into that another layer deeper, it's because the Dodgers, yeah, yeah. They spend more money than any other team. You know, you've got, uh, you know, they're the team that can go out and make the deal for Manny Machado. They can go out and make a deal for uh, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, but Chris Taylor is a perfect example of what the Dodgers have done so great. And it's really distinguished them from other big market teams to, you know, the Yankees have done it some, uh, like Mike Talkman was in a guy, an example of a guy the Yankees picked up who was a you know scrap heap guy. Uh, they've certainly done that with some relievers, but no team is big market team has done as consistently as the Dodgers and Chris Taylor. You know, basically uh, uh, on the scrap heap, Mike Max Muncy on the scrap heap. Uh, Taylor coming over from the Seattle Mariners and some suddenly becoming a star. Exactly, and you know, uh, on MLB.com, one of my favorite things that. Uh, my colleagues put out when the postseason starts is sort of a how they were built for each team and looking at the projected 26 man roster for the postseason and how the team acquired each player. And this was just based on the projected. So I'm not sure if it ended up with the exact guys who ended up, but the projected roster was only five free agents. And I remember because I was tweeting about the Dodgers on Sunday and Hey, they're this outstanding team. That's going to be in the wild card game. And all of the fans, because fans always have opinions on Twitter, as we both know, are like, Oh yeah, it's amazing. What 200, $67 million can buy you. And there were people using this chart in the mentions saying, Hey, that's not true. They have 11 guys who were drafted 10 guys who they got via trade. And if you look at those numbers, it compares really favorably to these other teams. And the giants are actually the team with the free agents. Now it's free agents like Darren Ruff. It's not necessarily uh, very lucrative contracts, but it is interesting. And that is what they are so good at. And that's why Chris Taylor is the guy for the Dodgers out of that game. All right. Why are you picking the Dodgers over the Giants in the division series? You know, I mean, I know we have spent all season saying that the Dodgers are maybe the better team and that didn't end up happening. The Giants were one game better. The Giants won the division, but ultimately I, I just think that the experience and the depth that the Dodgers have, I, I really am expecting Mookie Betts. We saw him with the two hits last night. I'm expecting him to not play like the regular season Mookie Betts that he was. We already saw Cody Bellinger last night looking a lot better than he had since pretty much June at this point. And I think that when the Dodgers are really on all cylinders like that, that they match up super favorably with the Giants. I really do think it's neck and neck, but you know, if you can go with a Max Scherzer and teams with players like that in a series like this, I I'm going to, but I'm picking five games. I think it's going to be really, really close. 
Yeah, coming up with Paul and Bikitis, I'm going to explain why I think that experience also is uh, going to potentially be a factor in this series. All right, later today, White Sox and Astros. Give me a pick and give me a reason. Oh, my gosh. I think this is the hardest series to pick. I mean, the Astros are a better team, as we've discussed. They have the best offense in baseball um, in a sort of underrated way at this point, and they've really upgraded their bullpen after that was uh, a bit of a weakness earlier in the season. I think the Astros win the series, but, you know, mostly because I think there are some questions with the White Sox, with exactly what's going to happen with starting pitching. We know that Carlos Radon is not going to be the Carlos Radon we saw in the first three months of the season. But it's really hard to count out a team with Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, who has been outstanding for them since returning from that injury late in the season, has completely upgraded his plate discipline. He looks like a totally different player. And he's the guy who had a 487 foot home run last postseason in that wild card series. So I'm going with the Astros. I'm thinking this goes five games, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm wrong. And it's the White Sox. Tampa Bay Rays against the Red Sox. This feels like it's going to be the Rays. I mean, I really think that the Rays are significantly better. I'm expecting a huge series out of Wander Franco, not not to put pressure on a 20-year-old kid, but I think that everybody is sort of expecting that that's kind of going to be the difference maker, the type of player that they didn't have last postseason when they still got so far to game six of the World Series. And I think their pitching is fascinating. I mean, they're going to start rookies, Shane McClanahan and Shane Boz in back-to-back starts, and then they could uh, bring out Drew Rasmussen or Louis Patino, who's also a rookie, but they're the Rays, so it, it's probably going to work. And we know that McClanahan and Boz are really good. And I just think that you know, you guys did a great thing on Sunday Night Baseball a couple of weeks ago. I guess that was two weeks ago about how Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, underlying numbers say that he is. Uh, he has been better than the results have been, but a lot of that has to do with the defense and that defense is still behind him. So I I just think that the Red Sox are not going to necessarily get off to a great start uh, having Eduardo Rodriguez on the mound in game one. And I'm expecting the Rays to win that one. I was on Kansas city radio this morning and I was talking about, you know, the, the, cause I was again, extolling the, the virtue of experience in the postseason. Uh, and then the the hosts, absolutely as they should, they push back and said, oh, in, in essence, uh, wait a second, you know, the Rays are starting Shane McClanahan and Shane Boz, you know, two rookies for them. And I said, yeah, but the difference is, is that the Rays slow play the development of their minor leaguers, especially their pitchers. And so when their pitchers get to the big leagues, they're not, you know, 19 years old and, and uh, still trying to figure out how to command the ball. It feels like their pitchers are like, you know, quarterbacks graduating to become the starter at the University of Alabama, where they've had the redshirt year, and then the you know the year behind the starting quarterback. Do you agree with me? Totally. And I mean, we saw. I mean, Boz really impacted. He's probably a big reason that this team finished as the best team in the American League. I mean, that's really the only thing that the Rays were fighting for down the stretch. But we had the conversation after, I think, his MLB debut about how the Rays can bring up a guy like this and have him impacting a playoff race and being so good in his first major league start and his first handful of starts. And it's absolutely what you what you're saying with how they develop guys. And I also think that I completely agree that experience plays a role. And I do think 
I mean, going back to the Dodgers and Giants, we, we forget that, you know, Buster Posey and there's certainly some experience over there too. But for the Rays, I think having a guy like Nelson Cruz around, whether he's on the roster yeah. or not, and the fact that most of the team was in the World Series last year, I, I think that that still gives them that that edge in experience as well. Even if some of these pitchers are younger and you have Wander Franco and other guys who are rookies and younger uh, scattered throughout the roster as well. Now the Braves and Brewers series might escape attention a lot of places, but not here because I'm going to be getting about 50,000 text messages from my son. Who's a nutty Braves fan during this series. What do you see in there? Oh no. Well, I don't want to ruin his day, but I do think the Brewers are going to win that series. I think that this is really going to be a show of the, the strength of their starting pitching. You know, we've talked about the Braves. I think the Braves are, were pretty much considered the weakest of the division winners just across baseball and maybe even the weakest of the postseason teams, even considering the Cardinals, just because the Cardinals came in with so much momentum. Um, they had an outstanding season. We talked about the projected war that they lost due to injury with Acuna being out Soroka, never pitching everything else. I think they had a great season, but I do think that their bullpen has had a lot of questions. And I think that uh, those kinds of things will really come back to bite them in this series. I mean, the offense has been really good. I'm expecting some Jorge Soler and Adam Duvall home runs for sure, but probably off the bullpen. I mean, I just burns Peralta Woodruff, the ability to trot those guys out, especially in a short series. I really think the birds are set up well. All right. Before you go, I'm going to run this bleacher tweet past to John Chicona writes an observation, not a question. Giancarlo Stanton hit three homers in the wild card game, but only one left the park. The importance of playing every game hard. If the Yankees won one more game against the Sox and last night's bombs were hit in the stadium. And this is not at all a criticism what John wrote. He's, he's right. You know, they, they, if they played in a different spot, you get different results with those balls that stand hit. But I've been amazed Sarah by reading in different places, people complaining about the fact that Stanton wasn't rewarded for hitting balls that would have been home runs in other places. To me, it's like complaining about the weather. Like we all know that going into these games, every ballpark is different, right? Dodger Stadium is a pitcher's park and Camden Yards is a bandbox and Yankee Stadium has short right field and Fenway Park has the green monster. Uh, it has the pesky pole. Every park is unique. And to complain about that, like somehow the Yankees get ripped off, I just find to be absurd. How about you? I completely agree. I mean, it kind of reminds me of those children's books. Like there used to be like, who was Jackie Robinson? Who was George Washington? And I feel like you could have one of like, why are different ballparks different? And it's because it it adds to the charm and everything of the game. And this has always been true. I mean, if they wanted to play every single baseball game in cookie cutter parks that were exactly the same, it would be so boring. So I, I completely agree. I mean, it's funny. Obviously, I'm a big proponent of StatCast. And when people are curious about how many ballparks a, a ball would have been a home run in, I'm often the person answering that question. But I do think having access to that information, some fans kind of go in the wrong direction direction with it. Like the point isn't, Oh, they should have been playing there. It's just, Hey, you know, this is an alternate reality. This is something for you to know. But ultimately this game was at Fenway park that was sealed when Raphael Devers hit that home run in the ninth inning of that game at nationals park on Sunday. And that's where you have to prepare to play. And by the way, 
Giancarlo Stanton had an outstanding series in that series the week before the end of the season when they were at Fenway Park and he homered in three straight games. So this is not a criticism of him either, but we know he can hit there. It's not like he has like the fourth highest OPS among visitors at Fenway Park. So it's not like he can't do it. He just happened to hit it in that direction. So I I do think uh, being frustrated about that in that way is just not not productive. No, it's like complaining about life, the the hardships of life. When I I read one piece and I thought to myself, this is someone from a very well-to-do family. Well, it's like the poor, unfair nature of life. Give me a break. That's the way ballparks are built. Today, we'll see in Houston the Crawford boxes, which are different than any other place. All right, Sarah. Sorry, I had to get that off my chest. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. After Chris Taylor hit that home run to beat the St. Louis Cardinals on Wednesday night, he spoke with Scott Van Pelt. And Chris Taylor joins us now on SportsCenter. And, and Chris, I first of all, congratulations. I always have to establish after we've been uh, partying in the locker room, are, are, we, are we mildly buzzed or you feel lucid at the moment? <laughs> I was able to loosen up a little bit in there, so it was good. Right on. Uh, now, you hit the ball out in a hurry and rounded the bases in a hurry. If you were able to think or feel or experience anything in that moment from home plate to home plate, what was it? Yeah, it was just pure adrenaline. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> I, I was just running as fast as I could. Um, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. And just pure excitement running around the bases. You know, it's, it's a kid's game, as they say, but that's a big boy moment. And, and to deliver for this team in a game where the tension has to be incredible because the right to continue playing is, is at stake. I mean, you've been in big spots before, but as you go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow, I mean, this moment, what, it, what does it represent for you personally? Oh, for sure. You know, this is why you play the game, is for moments like this. Um, you know, throughout my career, 
you know, I look back at some of the big moments and most all of them come in the playoffs. And uh, you never know when the opportunity can present itself. And, uh, you know, coming off the bench tonight, uh, you know, stepping into the box in that situation, uh, you know, it just kind of happened and it worked out for me. And I'm, I'm glad I was able to come through. Chris, the running joke on, on our show is anytime you come up on a highlight, like I always just say you always get big hits because that's how it feels to me. But, but Tim Kirkjian, when he was on with us earlier, he met, you know, he points out it was a struggle at the end of the year, right? Which is why you're not starting. But in these in this moment, the, the type of belief that this game requires you to have, how do you maintain it when the, you're going through the tough stretches that everyone deals with? Yeah, uh, you know, that's part of the game. Um, you know, it's really hard to go through the entire course of the season without hitting one of those tough stretches. And, right. uh, you know, I unfortunately hit mine right at the end of the year. But, um, you know, I was just trying to stay ready. I knew I was going to come in the game at some point and, uh, you know, try to keep the right mindset. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was just thrilled I was able to come through for my team and uh, push us through to the, the next series against the Giants. And about that series, Chris, I mean, look, in our business, we can take something that's not that big a deal, frankly, and make it feel like one. But this is a joke. It's 107 wins, 106 wins, all of the history that is shared, all the great games this year. As you think about what that will be like, what do you think that'll be like? It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, these two fan bases and, uh, you know, Two obviously great teams, um, you know, un unbelievable regular seasons, and they were able to uh, squeak out the division against us. So, right. uh, you know, we're hungry and uh, we're ready to go. Well, it only feels appropriate that you all would meet, given how great you both were throughout this year. And uh, now you get to figure out who gets the right to move on. Congratulations on an incredible moment, Chris, and thanks for coming out to share some time with us here on Sports Center, man. Thanks. All right, thanks a lot, Scott. You got it. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, Paul Ambikidi is a researcher for ESPN. He's a honcho on the show Get Up. Uh, Mike Greenberg has nasty things to say about him off air uh, while <laughs> continuing to employ him as his wingman on his radio show. And Hembo, you and I were emailing back and forth this morning after Phil Nevin, uh, in his comments, uh, about that play in the Red Sox Yankees wild card game in which Aaron Judge was thrown out at home plate. I said on the podcast yesterday, I think, or maybe I did in some radio shows that I, I thought for sure that, you know, once uh, knowing Phil, who's a great guy, I'm going to make this clear. He's a, he was a, a fun and a great person. And he's, uh, you know, someone who has a great perspective. I, I thought for sure that when he would see a replay uh, of uh, Aaron Judge being thrown out, that he would basically say, yep, you know what, I made a mistake. He didn't. Uh, in speaking with the New York Post, he talked about uh, the play and strongly stood his ground. Uh, his quote was to the Post, uh, there were a lot of factors. I did see the low throw. It was offline as well. I factored in the wet surface, which, which ended up being the demise because it was a quick skip into Bogart's club. He made a great baseball play and throw home. Uh, he said, I know what it looks like. I know what the situation is. I know what kind of third base coach I am. I made a play to win the game. It didn't work out. It was a great baseball play on their side. In a big moment, it didn't go our way. I, Hembo, I strongly disagree with him. I think, in a, and, and first off, I've never coached third base. Mm -hmm. He knows far more about that than I do. 
but I certainly, you know, have talked to a lot of third base coaches through the years. I've watched a lot of third base coaches. And I think that the big factor why he couldn't be wrong in that situation was the fact that there was only one out and they were down two runs. Okay. And, you know, you, you've always heard the mantra of you can't make the third out at third base uh, either to start or to end an inning. I feel the same way about this situation. You cannot make the second out at home plate on a, on a tag play. It wasn't close, Hambo. It was not close, but I, I would like to come to the defense of Phil Nevin in some sense. And that's because runs were at a premium in this game. And so I don't really mind the aggression. And the fact that there was only one out, in my opinion, at least, is reason to be more aggressive than if there were no outs or if there were two outs. To me, that if there's, if there's a time in which you can take that risk, it is with one out. And also... Joey Gallo's on deck. Joey Gallo's likely to create either an unproductive out by striking out or popping up. You also, with one out, have to deal with a double play because Stanton hit that ball so incredibly hard that it was going to be a first and third situation. So given the context of the lineup, and in that same column, he denied the fact that you know Gallo batting next had anything to do with his decision. That couldn't possibly be true. So in my opinion, even though you laid out the context properly, I don't mind playing the game with a little bit of reckless abandon. You, you were going to need to score runs to beat the Red Sox. There was an opportunity to do so. And he was right. It required essentially a perfect relay in order to nail Judge. Now, in watching back the replay several times this morning, I think something that I did underestimate to some degree is just how, like, Bogarts is making that throw because it's, you know, because the left field there is so, so shallow from the back of the infield dirt. I mean, it was a very easy throw once he collected the baseball. But I don't have issue with Phil Nevin's decision at the time, I don't need him to go and defend himself, you know, to the post, but candidly, like that's, I think he actually made the right baseball decision. And when you make the right baseball decision, sometimes the the outcome doesn't play in your favor. And in, in this particular case, I would come to his defense. All right. I'm going to pick back at you and then, you know, give you the last chance for a rebuttal before, uh, before we move on to, uh, to other topics. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad you backed off. It wasn't a great relay. Okay. Phil, Phil saying it was a great play. It wasn't a great play. Uh, as they talked to people yesterday, they were like, pointed out exactly what you just did that Bogarts, it wasn't like he made this unbelievable throw mm-hmm. from forever. It was just a, it was a routine throw. Once he gets the ball um, it, yeah, on the double play, you mentioned that the possibility of a double play, I think you will being as statistically oriented as you are, will back off this as well, because you and I both know Joey Gallo does not hit into ground ball double plays. Correct? <laughs> correct. Yes. You're, Joey Gallo is not someone who you're setting up a double play against. And you could also very easily tell, like you described, that Xander Bogarts, when he turned, was sort of surprised that Judge was going because he sort of lollipopped the ball in there. Like it was not right. a firm throw. He didn't rush his throw. And it was a very shallow throw. So generally speaking, again, I liked running the bases with aggression. I've always believed that more runs are left on the base paths than are thrown out. In this particular situation, it obviously did not work for the Yankees, and the context killed them. But again, I don't mind it so much just because of my base running philosophy. But look, I can't be proven right here. Judge got thrown out by 10 feet, for God's sake. Yeah, and I got to, you know, I talked to people around baseball yesterday, and they all thought it was not a good send. Here's the other mm-hmm. thing, too, and, and I agree with you that uh, the presence of Joey Gallo coming up probably was a factor in Nevin's mind as he's making Mm. that decision, knowing that Gallo doesn't generate a lot. I actually asked Aaron Boone in our Zoom call with him before uh, Tuesday's game. I said, because I know Booney, he's well aware of the conversation 
uh, uh, from folks in baseball about why would you have Gallo batting behind Stanton? Because it's an invitation to work around Stanton. Um, to me, if you have to trust these players, if you put them in these positions, right, if you're going to bat Joey Gallo fourth. And then you have a situation where the third base coach is thinking, Oh my God, this guy's an automatic out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he can't be batting. He, he cannot be batting cleanup. Yep. You're right. Exactly right. He should be hitting. Exactly eight. Right. He's a complimentary piece. Put Glaber Torres, the, you know, batting cleanup or, or Brett Gardner, for God's sake. You know, if you feel more <laughs> confident that he's actually going to put the ball in play. If that was a factor in how Nevin's thinking, then he and Booney needed to talk before the game and they should needed to come up with a different lineup. I mean, that's, yeah. so, you know, but I, I, I again, I want to say, I, I, and I would love to have this conversation with, with Phil in person, I probably will, uh, in, in, you know, when I see him the next time, uh, and I t- completely respect his acumen. I think he just made a mistake on that play. Okay. Give me an X factor in the division series for each of these. Uh, today, we of course start with the white Sox and the Astros. Buster, I favor Houston in this series because of their strength of record. Here's what I mean. The standings say there was only a two game difference between these teams, but I believe that is deceiving. And that's because I ran the numbers for every playoff team against the nine other teams that wound up in the playoff field. The Astros went 19 and 14 in those games. That was the best record in baseball. The White Sox went 13 and 19 in those games. That was the worst record among the 10 teams that made the playoffs. Hembo, I really feel like if you're the White Sox, you're feeling good today about giving the ball to Lance Lynn in game one because I just love the way that he attacks hitters. You know, if, if he was like a younger pitcher who kind of picked at the strike zone, I'd be worried about him. I love Lance Lynn as a game one starter. What do you think? Uh, I do too. Lance Lynn um, has had sort of an up and down season, but in a game like this, to be able to set the tone for the series, that was the right decision for Tony LaRusa. And this series, I am so excited to follow because these two teams are sort of anti-baseball in 2021, if you will. They're the two best teams in baseball at producing runs without homering. So if you're sort of an old-school baseball fan, I think this is probably the series that will best match the contours of your brain. Yeah, and it's Dusty Baker versus Tony La Russa, which guarantees that we'll have at least one bench-clearing incident during the course of the series. <laughs> uh, X-Factor in Red Sox and Rays. So I favor the Rays in this series because of the potency of their lineup. Do not take their season-long stats at face value. Tampa played... 43 games this season in which both Wander Franco and Nelson Cruz both shared the starting lineup. Buster, in those games, the race averaged 6.1 runs. How about this context? The last team that averaged that many over a season was the 1999 Indians. The top of their lineup consisted of Kenny Lofton, Omar Vizquel, Roberto Alomar, Manny Ramirez, and Jim Tomey. And over the last half of this season, the Rays lineup has been that kind of good when they had both Cruz and Franco in it. Okay, I feel smarter because I've been explaining my Tampa Bay Rays pick. I've been saying that the difference between the Rays of the World Series 2020 and where they are now are those two guys hitting in that lineup. Uh, I was actually talking about that recently with David Ortiz, uh, about the, those two guys and the difference they make and the quality of their bats. It's, uh, it's extraordinary. Braves and Brewers. And remember, my son is listening to whatever you say here. Uh-oh, because I favor the Brewers in this series because they have legitimately Three great starting pitchers. Let's use whip here as our measure. The gold standard is anything below one, as you well know. And Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta all had a sub one whip this season. Buster, in the entire history of Major League Baseball, 
the 2021 Brewers are the only team that had three starting pitchers with that distinction. The 2019 Nationals ran the table with Strasburg and Scherzer and Corbin. This Brewers trio is as good as those guys. I'm curious about who hits for the Brewers in this series. Mm, me too. You know, that's, oh, yeah. That, uh, that's going to be the big factor. Uh, and the Dodgers and Giants, a series everyone's going to be watching. Oh, yeah. So I, I favor the Dodgers in this series, albeit slightly, because they are less home run reliant. So LA won 16 games this season in which it did not out homer its opponent. The Giants went 8 and 28 in those games. And further, the Dodgers ranked sixth buster in scoring this season without the benefit of the home run ball. The Giants ranked 21st. Now, if this series does wind up being a home run derby, I do give the edge to the Giants, but considering the Dodgers out homer the Giants by eight in their 19 regular season meetings, my money is on LA. We know the Giants have built a lineup to out homer their opponent. And I think over the course of the next five games, which I think it will be a five game series, I give a slight, like a razor thin margin to the Dodgers because I think they're a little bit more diverse in the way that they can score runs. What say you? I say, and I'm curious to see what you think about this, because I'm going to say something that I know would make stats analysts lose their minds. I believe in these series that there can be a heart rate metric, okay? Mm. And we know that the Giants have guys who have a ton of postseason experience and Buster Posey and Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford, but they also have a ton of guys who are going to be on a big stage for the first time. On the other hand, the Dodgers have all these guys who played all of these postseason games. Yeah. And I, you know, I saw it firsthand when I covered the Yankees, you know, from 98 to 2001. By the time they got to 2001, they were playing teams that were better than they were, but they beat them because of their experience. I thought their experience became a weapon. You buy into that or you think it's a bunch of crap? I, it is not a bunch of crap. Um, there are too many people whose opinion I value, like yours, who say that and things like that for me to dismiss it just because it doesn't show up on my spreadsheets. The Dodgers' muscle memory in circumstances like these is going to go a long way, I think, in this particular series, not to mention the fact that the Dodgers just have more great players. So in, in 30 seconds, my philosophy here is over the course of 162, the teams with the most good players wind up winning. All you have to do is look at the you know, leaderboards for the, you know, the MVP and the Cy Young this year. You don't see a lot of giants. You don't see a lot of rays, but over the course of five games, that's where great players make difference, make a huge difference because they can swing win probability in massive ways in high leverage moments. And if we're just to be honest, the Dodgers have probably six of the best eight players in this series, something like that in terms of just the expectation in any given game or, or, you know, series of this length. And so not only do they have the experience, but I think they have more individual players that can take advantage of big moments. Yeah. And I think at the top of my list, the guys that I'm watching in terms of that, uh, the adrenaline, uh, mm. Logan Webb, you know, uh, mm -hmm. young pitcher and Kevin Gossman, who in the past mm. team, you know, he, when he was a young pitcher, he would struggle to control his adrenaline in big moments. So I'm, I'm fascinated by this series. All right, Hembo. Thank you. Later boys. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Thursday. First up, we have JC at Astros2Trill. Longtime listener, new to Twitter. I'll be in Chicago this weekend to see my Astros go to work. Who you got in this series, Buster? JC, I got the Astros. I'm worried about all the little dings the White Sox have taken uh, down the stretch. Some of the starting pitchers maybe not in the best position 
Uh, and then all this news about Jose Abreu going in and, and feeling somewhat sick. He's a gamer. But look, I think the Astros are dangerous. We've talked about the experience of teams like the Dodgers, the Braves in the postseason. I think the experience is going to work for the Astros. Last tweet for today, Eric Sorensen at Coach Sorensen 9 writes in, Buster is 100% on cattle getting out. I swear that yes. an alert go up every time. A big game, a start of a fourth quarter, not to mention if we go on vacation or have a family gathering and like everyone else, thank you for a fun regular season. I mean, that's an epic story that you've, you've recounted here, the, the Bucky Dent game of the cows getting out. But uh, can you recall any other times when they got out at a really inconvenient time for you or your family? Um. All the time, uh, you know, <laughs> anytime's a bad time. Here's well, I'll give you, I'll give you one, which drove me crazy. Cause like I grew up, uh, you know, it, I couldn't stand going out at night in the dark. Like I was afraid of the dark when I was like four five, six years old. Okay. So my parents bought this farm when I was nine. And if the cows got out late at night, it was my responsibility to go get the cows. And so I would hear, we'd get a call from the neighbors, okay, over the hill. Hey, the cows are out. And I just know I'm going to go out there and Bigfoot's going to be waiting for me. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it goes. There was one other time, the most epic time in terms of like literally, it was during a thunderstorm. And I can remember, uh, I was what, 10 or 11 at that time. And they got out through this swamp in the north part of our property. And there was lightning hitting on top of 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 the hillside right near where we were uh, trying to get the cows in. My stepdad and I were out there trying to get them back in. It, it, it can be, a, it can be a thing. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, Buster, I have a lot of thoughts on your, uh, your parents' uh, parenting style, but uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's uh, no, my parents are great. You know? <laughs> I mean, force you out at night. You're scared of the dark and a lightning well, storm. It's because my stepdad was milking the, you know, he was inside doing, he was milking the cows. And so if the heifers got out, uh, with the cows that were dried when they uh, you, they weren't giving milk, that look, it, yeah, you know, I, I it was it was perfectly fine. Oh, That's man. the way it needs to be. Okay. I just I my I, my childhood was so soft and, and pampered compared to yours. So oh, uh, and my childhood was so soft compared to other farm kids that I knew because like <laughs> wow. I my parents were okay with me like reading books in the middle of the day. Like the idea of that for some of the kids I grew up with, no chance. Oof. <laughs> Oof. All right, glad we snuck a little more farm talk in there. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Thanks for writing in, everyone. And follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Taylor, I didn't get your World Series pick from you. I think we need to do that today. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm amb- ambushing you. Who you got in the World Series? I'm, I'm, you know what? I, I'm with you on the White Sox and the little dings, but I feel like I've been more impressed by them than, than most teams all season. I'm, th- I'm thinking White Sox Giants in the World Series. Wow. You were out on a limb. Mm-hmm, you can, mm-hmm. I mean, you can do a victory parade if they win the World Series. Oh, That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right. You're on the record. That's it for today. Uh, my thanks to Sarah, to Hemo, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. 
Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.